Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking about benign prostatic hyperplasia. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash bph or in the urology section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Benign prostatic hyperplasia or BPH is a very common condition that affects men in older age, usually over the age of 50 years. It's caused by hyperplasia or growth of the stromal and epithelial cells of the prostate. It usually presents with lower urinary tract symptoms. So let's talk in more detail about lower urinary tract symptoms. There are typical lower urinary tract symptoms or LUTS that occur with prostate pathology. And these include hesitancy, which is difficulty starting and maintaining the flow of urine, a weak flow, urgency, where there's a sudden pressing urge to pass urine, frequency, which is needing to pass urine often, usually with only small amounts, intermittency, which is where the flow starts and stops and varies in rate, straining, where the patient has to strain to pass urine, terminal dribbling, which is dribbling after finishing urination, incomplete emptying, which is not being able to fully empty the bladder, resulting in chronic retention, and nocturia, which is having to wake up at night to pass urine multiple times. The International Prostate Symptom Score, or IPSS, is a scoring system that can be used to assess the severity of the lower urinary tract symptoms. Let's talk about assessment. The initial assessment of men presenting with lower urinary tract symptoms involves a digital rectal examination, or a prostate exam, to assess the size, shape and characteristics of the prostate, an abdominal exam to assess for a palpable bladder and any other abnormalities in the abdomen, a urinary frequency volume chart where they record over three days the fluid intake and the fluid output, a urine dipstick to assess for infection, hematuria or blood in the urine which may be due to bladder cancer and any other pathology, and a prostate-specific antigen or PSA blood test, which is to look for prostate cancer, and this depends on the patient's preference. The prostate-specific antigen or PSA blood test is known to be unreliable, giving a high rate of false positives, about 75%, and false negatives, about 15%. This means that about 75% of the raised PSA blood results don't have an underlying prostate cancer and about 15% of the normal PSA blood results occur in patients who do have prostate cancer. False positive results may lead to further investigations including invasive prostate biopsies which have complications and may be unnecessary. False negative results may lead to inappropriate reassurance. Therefore it's essential to counsel patients to make an informed decision about whether or not to have the test. The common causes of a raised PSA result are prostate cancer, benign prostatic hyperplasia, prostatitis or infection in the prostate, urinary tract infections, vigorous exercise, notably cycling, and recent ejaculation or prostate stimulation. Let's talk about the prostate examination. A benign prostate feels smooth, symmetrical and slightly soft with a maintained central sulcus or a groove down the middle of the prostate gland. 
A cancerous prostate may feel firm or hard, asymmetrical, craggy or irregular with loss of the central sulcus. A Tom tip for you, when you start performing any intimate examination, there's always the temptation to rush. It's natural to want to reduce the discomfort of the patient and get the exam over with quickly. It's important to take your time when you're assessing a prostate to feel for any abnormal areas, any asymmetry or tenderness. If you rush, you're more likely to miss something. And the same is true of breast, vaginal or testicle examinations as well. Let's talk about management of benign prostatic hyperplasia. Patients with mild and manageable symptoms may not require any interventions. The medical options are alpha blockers, for example, tamsulosin, which help to relax smooth muscle and this gives a rapid improvement in symptoms. The other option is 5-alpha reductase inhibitors, for example, finasteride, and these gradually reduce the size of the prostate. The general idea is that alpha blockers are used to treat immediate symptoms and 5-alpha reductase inhibitors are used to treat the enlargement of the prostate over the longer term. They may be used together where patients have significant symptoms and enlargement of the prostate. I'm going to talk a little bit about how 5-alpha reductase inhibitors work. 5-alpha reductase converts testosterone to dihydrotestosterone or DHT, which is a more potent androgen hormone. Inhibitors of 5-alpha reductase, for example finasteride, reduce dihydrotestosterone in the tissues, including the prostate, and this leads to a reduction in the prostate size. Remember that the prostate is sensitive to testosterone and androgen hormones. It takes up to six months of treatment with 5-alpha reductase inhibitors for the effects to result in an improvement in symptoms. The surgical options for treating benign prostatic hyperplasia are a transurethral resection of the prostate, or TURP, a transurethral electrovaporization of the prostate, or TEVAP, or TUVP, a holmium laser enucleation of the prostate or H-O-L-E-P or an open prostatectomy where the prostate gland is removed by an abdominal or a perineal incision. And we're going to talk about these surgical options in more detail shortly. A Tom tip for you, the notable side effect of alpha blockers like tamsulosin is postural hypotension. If an older man presents with lightheadedness on standing or presents with falls, check whether they're on tamsulosin and check their lying and standing blood pressure. The most common side effect of finasteride is sexual dysfunction due to the reduced androgen activity. Let's talk in more detail about transurethral resection of the prostate. Transurethral resection of the prostate or TURP is the most common surgical treatment for BPH. It involves removing part of the prostate from inside the urethra. A resectoscope is inserted into the urethra and the prostate tissue is removed using a diathermy loop. The aim is to create more expansive space for urine to flow through, therefore improving symptoms. The major complications of a transurethral resection of the prostate are bleeding, infection, urinary incontinence, erectile dysfunction, retrograde ejaculation, which is where the semen goes backwards and is not produced from the urethra, 
urethral strictures and failure to resolve symptoms. Let's talk about the three other surgical options. Transurethral electrovaporization of the prostate, or TEVAP, or TUVP, involves inserting a resectoscope into the urethra, and then a rollerable electrode is rolled across the surface of the prostate, vaporizing the prostate tissue and clearing more space for the urine to flow. A holmium laser enucleation of the prostate, or HOLEP, also involves using a resectoscope into the urethra, and a laser is then used to remove prostate tissue, creating more space for the urine to flow. And finally, an open prostatectomy involves an open procedure to remove the prostate gland. An abdominal or a perineal incision can be used to access the prostate. Open surgery is less commonly used as it carries an increased risk of complications, a more extended hospital stay, and a longer recovery than the other surgical procedures. So thanks for listening to this episode on benign prostatic hyperplasia. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about prostatitis.